What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody, uh, I'm Jacob <laughs> here with the Daniel Three Podcast. Man, it's been a while since I've done this. I mean, not really. It's been I don't know a week or so, but damn, it feels like a while. Um, you know, it's kind of why I decided to do this tonight. Was like, man, I don't want to get out of the practice because I know that's that's what happens to a lot of people who start podcasts is they take a little break and then they just fall off the face of the earth because they they got out of doing that ha- you know out of that habit. So. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to do it for that reason, but also there's, there's so many people, um, right now who are checking in and, uh, (laughs) asking how I'm doing, asking how my family's doing specifically how my dad's doing. And, you know, and and I appreciate it, you know, it's not, um, it's not something I'm, I'm bothered by. It's just, um, a little overwhelming to try to like respond to everybody, um, you know, individually ongoingly. I try to like, update like obviously my family and uh my my closest friends and and people that i that i associate with but uh um with everyone else i know it's just and everyone that follows the podcast um i just figured a podcast might be easier to to provide kind of where things are at right now and but yeah i just i really appreciate you know i had people who who don't really know me who just watch this show sending me emails and messages telling me that they were praying for for me and my father and my family during this time and uh you know i, I just i super appreciate it and i and i've been also really touched and blessed by by how many people have um you know uh, donated to that gofundme that i started for my dad and and his family during this time it's been um yeah it, it's been a little bit uh, uh humbling and uh, <laughs> uh tear provoking at, at at times um so i yeah i, I from the bottom bottom of my heart i'm i'm super grateful for for all of you um so uh, i guess i'll start with um um kind of like the background of sort of like what, what what happened so my dad got a and i'm gonna have to pull up my calendar here to like keep track because 
I can't keep track of time anymore. So my dad went into the hospital. Um, let's see. I want to say it was the 30th of September. Yeah. Um, it was, it was the last day of September. He had got a positive COVID diagnosis uh, the weekend before. I guess that was the the weekend of the 26th. And his, his uh, wife, my stepmom, had gotten a positive test um, before that. So it didn't come out of the blue. And he had it for a little while before he went um, into the hospital. And um, I had been checking in on him every day to kind of see how he was doing. You know, I had COVID back in 2020, in September of 2020. And, um, you know, it, it hit me pretty hard. I was probably out of the count for about two weeks. Uh, I have asthma. And although my asthma is, you know, as I've, as I've, it was like really bad when I was a kid, but as I uh, grew up and, you know, now I'm 29, it's not really a big deal anymore. I typically didn't need my inhaler unless I really overexerted myself or sometimes if I was having bad allergies or it was like really cold outside, I'd have little asthma flare ups, but it was pretty easily manageable. Um, but the COVID hit me really hard uh, in, in, in that way. Like it triggered my asthma to the point where my, like they give you these, if you don't, if you ever had asthma, uh, maybe you haven't seen somebody who has them, but like, you know, typically if you have asthma, you have these little rescue inhalers. And um, I pretty much exhausted mine, got a refill and was, you know, using it like crazy, using it with like those little uh, nebulizer chambers they give you to help uh, disperse it and, and was getting very little relief from it. And so my dad had asthma too growing up. So I assumed that it might hit him the same way it hit me because we're very similar in our makeup um, down to our appearance. Actually, I was going through, I was going through old photos uh, this past week and uh, looking at, at pictures of my dad, from around like you know his 20s and me it's it's a pretty similar it's it's almost you know it's it, we're different enough uh you know obviously like the way i do my hair and dress and all that's different but like certain pictures of my dad if he does a certain facial expression and the right lighting it's just like you know it looks it'll fool me into thinking it's me for a split second um but yeah it didn't affect him in the same way because he never reported having any trouble breathing but um, about Thursday, it's like what, you know, I've been calling him every day. And when I would check in on him, you know, he'd be like, ah, I feel like shit. This sucks. And I'm just going to sleep it off. And, you know, but like he was himself. And I didn't, you know, I was not, I was concerned, but not really worried at that time. And then uh, Wednesday, he was a bit crankier than normal uh, when I would check in on him, but still seemed like he was okay. The Thursdays when I noticed something was off because uh, I didn't hear from him the whole morning. And then when I called him, uh, he was incoherent. And so that led to me getting one of those uh, pulse uh, oximeters, uh, the things that monitor your uh, your oxygen levels. And then um, so I, I gave that to him and uh, well, actually I gave it to my my stepmom. And so she gave it to him, monitored his level. And she was like, yeah, it's it's low. And so they called the doctor who said he should go to the hospital. And so they had an ambulance come pick him up. At that point, we just thought that, okay, he's getting low on oxygen. He needs to get some oxygen in him. But um, 
when he got there, they said on the hospital ride over, his oxygen had dipped down to the 60s. So it was getting worse. Uh, I guess COVID, you know, can attack your uh, body's ability for like, I guess the oxygen for your lung, your lungs to absorb the oxygen and like uh, distribute it to like the red blood cells. I guess it can, you know, mess up that, that interchange. So even though he wasn't having any reports of like a restriction in his breathing, like I had, he was getting low oxygen because it was attacking his lungs all the same. Um, so, uh, and then, uh, that night, Thursday into Friday, uh, which was the 1st of October, like early in the morning, I'm, I think it was like four or five o'clock and, and, and we were all pretty much asleep except for, um, my stepmom, uh, they made the call that they had to put him on a ventilator and my dad had been fighting it, uh, was the, re- the report I'd been given. Keep in mind, like, they're not letting any of us in there, not even my stepmom. So it, it's, it is very surreal to try to like understand what's going on when you can't step foot in the building. You, you have no, like I've talked to so many different nurses and doctors. I have no face to put to them. So it makes it hard to know who I've talked to before and who I haven't. And, it, and it's just hard to visual visualize and have a complete understanding of what's going on. Like people are asking me for updates and it's like, you know, my information is is barely secondhand at this point. But so, yeah, I woke up Friday morning to um, a call from my stepmom saying that he had been put on a ventilator um, because th- they were I guess the oxygen wasn't enough in their opinion. Um, I know a lot of you, <laughs> you know, a lot of people were messaging me and be like, don't put him on a ventilator. It's a death sentence and all that, you know, is, which is, you know. Not especially helpful when it's a little bit too late, but, you know, so we were just kind of playing it by ear. I had some friends of mine who reached out and uh, uh, gave me some some helpful information um, privately, uh, people that I trust on how to approach things from this uh, point of, you know, from 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 that point forward. And I got to tell you, I was very aggravated when I when I started to look into things and you know, his, so, so the theme to what I'm going to start getting into is a lot of medical negligence is, is, I mean, it's, I, I hate to like criticize the people and attack the people who are basically, who are holding my father's life, my father's life in their hands right now. But for one, his own personal doctor didn't say anything. And should have been should have told him the minute he got that diagnosis to go to the hospital and get, you know, there, there's different treatments you can get early on that I guess help to prevent the the COVID case from getting worse. And it's especially important for people who have pre-existing conditions and uh, and different health concerns to get these treatments as early as possible, uh, mainly like monoclonal antibodies um, and and there's a couple other things that 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 people can do, but. You know, once you're at the point where they stick you on a ventilator, you're well past a lot of those things that are shown to be effective before it gets that severe. Um, and then once somebody's on a ventilator, it's like, what can you do? It's kind of risky to uh, to to take them off. Um, so as much as I didn't want my father to be on a ventilator, it was like, well, he's already on. And as much as I understand the concerns about people being on ventilators, it's like once he's on, it's just you know, as angry as I am, and I will criticize the doctors uh, all around the ones, 
you know, mainly the ones who gave him the test and then his personal doctor um, and whatnot for, for not intervening earlier. Um, once he was on the ventilator, it was like, okay, well, I can't, you know, to the best thing I can do now for him is to focus on what he needs now, not what he needed before, but we're, we've, we've passed that point. Um, the most effective thing that uh, started to help my dad's oxygen levels get back up was proning. Uh, which is basically like they they take you and they I mean they just literally lay you on your stomach propped up with some pillows. It's it's really all it is. It's only complicated because once you're on a ventilator, you get all these tubes. You know, you get your the ventilator tube, you get all these uh, IV tubes and and all that sticking in you. And so, um, and they got to be careful how they move you. So it takes I I don't know how many. They, they tell tell me it takes a a lot of different nurses and uh, doctors to. I guess, flip him into that position and they can only keep him there for so long. Like they put him on a paralytic, I guess, to keep him from moving. Cause that way he won't move in a way that, uh, I guess like messes with any of the cords or stuff that he's got in him. Uh, Craig, my, uh, dad, uh, Craig asked how old my father is. He's 55. So, I mean, he's not a spring chicken, but he's not exactly, uh, you know, super old. Um, so, but he's got some health issues. He's got diabetes. He's got um, uh, high blood pressure. He's already, he was having some mild chronic kidney problems for the last few years. So uh, some thyroid problems. So, you know, not, not somebody who, uh, you know, like me, I got it last year. And even I, for me, it was like, it was like having, I had a bronchitis infection when I was a teenager and basically the way I described my experience with COVID was it was like I had a bad flu with a bronchial infection on top of it. So it's a double whammy. Um, but um, yeah, to get back into it, the proning is what helped. Uh, and then, so like I was on the doctors and nurses like a hawk for the first few days to week, maybe to a week to make sure that they were proning him to monitor like, okay, are you giving him this medication for the, for the diabetes? This one for the blood pressure, what are his numbers? Uh, what do you, what are you, what are you planning on doing next? And I was really on them every day for a while, but he was getting better and better. Like he was like, so with the ventilator, they have all these different settings. Uh, I mean, one is just like how much oxygen they're giving you. And then there's like the pressures of like how much, uh, I guess pressure the ventilator is is applying, then they can have it to a point where they can do all the breathing for you through the ventilator, or they can have the ventilator assist your own efforts to breathe. So there's a lot of different things at play here, but we were like trying to keep track of all of them. And each day it was like, okay, he needed less oxygen and less ventilator assistance. At one point, he was actually starting to try breathing on his own. Um, and it was interfering with the ventilator. So they had to change the setting on it to where the ventilator was assisting him, not doing it for him. So we, we thought, okay, he's, he's getting better day by day. Uh, they got this. I literally took a two day break, like literally two day break from sitting in on the phone calls. Cause it was, it was getting very hard to coordinate with my work schedule and all that to, to, cause like they, they only let one person call in. Nobody can visit. And only my stepmom is allowed to call in and get updates um, and to make medical decisions for him. So I would have to call, I'd have to uh, either do a three-way call with her or go to her 
place in person and sit down and, and be on the call when she called the doctors. And so when it seemed like he was starting to get better and get to a good place, I took a break from that for two days. And then literally, and I'm trying to remember the exact day, I think it was, um, this was probably like the 8th or the 9th. I forget which night, or it might even been the 10th, might have been the Sunday. Uh, we noticed, like, I got a report that the oxygen levels that they were giving him went back up. But that, but the explanation I got was that, well, he's breathing on his own and they flipped him back on his back and it went up to like, like he was down at like 35% oxygen and then went back up to 60%, which was a jump, but it was like, okay, I guess if they're messing with the settings, maybe that's normal. Well, then it went up again and then we didn't hear any updates for a bit. And so then I was like, all right. And then my stepmom called me and was like, I need you to be on the next call because the doctors just told me that, He's in critical care and he's getting like, like, you know, one-on-one like extensive care from like the doctors and nurses right now. And so we went there and they were like, yeah, really concerned. He's taking a turn for the worse. Uh, He seems to, you know, his white blood cell count is going up, which might be because of the COVID or might be because he got some kind of infection. Uh, They were like, he's on max ventilator settings. He's on a hundred percent oxygen and he's on, max pressure and you know it's his o2 level like his blood o2 was still only like barely in the 80s which isn't good enough uh and they were like if he gets worse we can't give him any more oxygen they they they've literally straight up said you're gonna have to start contemplating that like you know do you know what your father wants like does he want to live on a machine the rest of his life on life support and a ventilator or, you know, do you need to, and they were like, if he keeps this much longer, it's going to be a strain on his heart and his heart might stop and CPR in his, in his condition might be deadly to him and it might damage his, his, his ribs, damage his lungs more. He might be in a place where he could never recover and get off a ventilator and he'd have to be on a ventilator. Like, even if he got better, like out over the COVID, he'd have to be in a facility on a ventilator the rest of his life. And it was like, so you know, is that something? So they were literally like, you know, saying we had to consider if we were going to do a DNR for him or not. Uh, I think that was Saturday night or Sunday night. And that was, you know, brutal. Uh, but then we realized, like, wait a second. Like, okay, we asked, like, you know, have you guys been proning the whole time? Because that was helping him. And the nurse we were talking to was like, uh, no. They haven't proned in over two days. And we, so, and the nurse was like, and we have the nurses have been saying, cause like the doctor's the one who gave us the grim news. And then the nurses were like, yeah, we've been trying to get them the prone again for the past two days. But for some reason, no one is, uh, no one is listening to us, but your dad was doing better on the proning. And then they stopped. And I was like, okay, so he, they stopped proning him and he got worse. So with the nurse's help, we convinced the doctors to go back to the proning and then he started getting better again. (laughs) So you can imagine my frustration, all of our frustrations through all this, because it's like, it's very hard to know how to handle these things when especially like this wouldn't have happened. First of all, this would not have happened if we were allowed to be there. Like, you know what I mean? Like if we were allowed to be there with him, at least even one person, they would have noticed 
hey, you guys haven't pruned him for like 12 hours. Because the regimen they were doing was like 18 hours pruned, six hours on his back. You know, roughly. Sometimes it'd be a little bit different. But um, but yeah, they were doing that consistently. And then they just stopped, which I get like, I think the reason why they stopped for a little bit was to see how he would do without the pruning, which is maybe reasonable to be like, okay, let's see if he is at a, he's got a good place now. Let's see if he does okay without it. But the minute he started to get a little bit worse, he should have started the pruning again, and they didn't until we instigated the thing after they told us that we had to consider the fact that our da- that that my father was was likely either going to be dead or on a machine the rest of his life. But that wouldn't have happened if we were allowed to be there. Um, and yeah, the fact that the nurses were having to convince the doctor to do it was concerning as well. And then I started talking to the nurses more and they're like, yeah, you know, it's tough. We have nurses that are leaving because of not wanting to get the vaccination. So we're on a reduced staff right now. People are checking in and checking out different shifts and rotations and whatnot. So, you know, basically what happened was a different rotation came in, a different doctor came in than what was treating before. And that's part of why the, care changed and then that really cemented since then i pretty much have had to like make sure that me or my stepmom you know is almost like annoyingly like we feel it's not in my inclination to be this insistent with people and this demanding but i mean it's my dad's life so i don't care like i don't care if i piss him off but like we are having to be insistent every day are you still proning are you still proning you know, how long has he been prone? When are you putting him on his back? How long, you know, we, we actually got them to agree last week that they were just going to keep the proning on a 18, six, 18 hours prone, six hours on his back schedule up through this weekend into tomorrow. So then tomorrow I have to be back on the phone calls again, hard to figure out what the next step is. And he's improved a lot since they went back to the proning um, a, a lot, a lot. Like he's actually, uh i think today down to 30 or 25 percent ventil ventilator oxygen which is the lowest he's needed and his his o2 levels were in the high 90s and staying in the 90s even when they put him on his back um and yeah i mean it doesn't make sense to me exactly how the proning helps him but just something about the body position and just the way you're oriented, maybe something about gravity and blood flow. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's something there that, that explains it, but just for some reason, being in that position uh, is better for his body to absorb and distribute the oxygen to all of his extremities. And, you know, you can't beat off COVID. Your immune system isn't going to work right if your oxygen is low. (laughs) So your lungs are going to not be able to, to, you know, resist things and heal if if they're on low oxygen so um you know so that that's where he's at right now basically is you know he he's on lower oxygen he's still on the ventilator we're we're gonna have a talk tomorrow and we'll know more about you know how much longer he's gonna need to be on it because we're, we might have to make a decision this week to uh either this week or next week to do a tracheotomy and do the ventilator through the the uh, hole in the neck versus through the mouth, because if you keep it in the mouth too much longer, it could damage his esophagus and his throat. Uh, so if he has to be on much more than a week or two longer than 
he already has been, they'll probably have to do the tracheotomy. But the there's pros and cons there. The pro being the ventilator going in closer to the lungs is actually like, you know, better, I guess. Uh, the the downside would be it would be harder for them to prone him, uh, I guess, with it being here as opposed to here. Um, so we're going to have a conversation about that. But he's at least stable now. Like this weekend compared to last weekend is, you know, night and day. Um, and the doctors are more optimistic now about his trajectory. So that's an update on where he's at. And uh, that 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 could be a springboard into uh, probably the next 15, 20 minutes where I am just going to sit here and uh, rage a little bit about uh, doctors and nurses and healthcare industry and the COVID regime because... Man, I thought I was opinionated about this shit before my dad went to the hospital. But let me tell you, after all this, I, uh, I've i been too nice. I have not been uh, angry enough about this crap. Uh, maybe, you know, because I, I wasn't experiencing it personally. But, uh, sorry, I have bad allergies today, so I'm a little, little congested. Uh so yeah, for starters, um, it is listen, I'm I'm all for taking reasonable precautions, right? Like, um I don't want to throw caution to the wind and just like, oh, let's shove ten people into a room with a COVID patient in a ward where people are sick. Um, I am not trying to be unreasonable uh in that regard. I understand that there would need to be different rules regarding visitation and who can be in the room with him while he's recovering from COVID um, or, or battling COVID still actively has it. Like I, I get it. Um, you know, with, with any, any disease, you have to take reasonable precautions, but to say that he can have, here's the thing. And I'm, I'm going to curse. And if you are bothered by that, I'm sorry, but there's, there's, I have very little way that I can express myself right now without, dropping a few uh, F-bombs. It is fucking evil to put people in a hospital room and let them slowly die or suffer silently in complete isolation from their family and their loved ones. It's fucking evil. There's no other way to describe it. There's no other label, no other words that are needed to, to describe what that is. It's fucking evil. Like, the medicine is important, right? But you know what really helps people to heal and and to fight off, uh, whether it's an infection, whether it's cancer, uh, you know, whatever surgery that's needed. When when people are going through those hard times, that is when they need their family and their loved ones the most. It's when they need their spouse the most. And gosh, how many people have died over the past coming up on you know we're over a year and a half it's going to be two years soon uh next march how many people have died completely alone i mean just for one i can't imagine how depressed and how lonely and and desperate it must be to be in that position by by yourself not being able to see your, your, your loved ones as you're, you know, you need that, you need that comforting touch. You need those words of encouragement to keep fighting, to keep your spirits up because 
if if you have people around you telling you you're going to get better and giving you that those positive feelings that affects your body's ability to fight off these infections to fight off cancer to fight off whatever it is it it's having to do and to get better you know what i mean it's 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 so vital i just can't imagine how i mean it just breaks my heart to imagine not just and, and not just the people that had to suffer by themselves but then God, the, the the family and the loved ones who, you know, lost people and never got to say goodbye, didn't get to be with their be with their loved ones on their deathbed and tell them that it was going to be all right. Because that's important, too. I mean, fuck. Like, I mean, I get worked up to tears over this shit. That's they're, they're, it's, it's evil. There's no other word for it. I don't care like, oh, it's COVID, it's risk. No, okay? There's always risk. Life comes with risk, okay? Every damn day that you decide to wake up and get out of bed, you're you're risking something. You know what I mean? Like, listen, I'll, I'll, I will wear a face mask. I will scrub up. I will do whatever it takes. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? To go into an ICU of, uh, that's the place where it makes sense. It doesn't make a lot of fucking sense to tell me to wear a mask and, you know, act like I'm a, you know, I'm a fucking pathogen bomb waiting to go and infect and kill a bunch of people when I'm like at work by myself or I go to the grocery store, or the mini mart, and I'm 12 feet away from everybody. Okay. When you go into a hospital to an ICU, yes, it's reasonable to ask me to wear a mask and I would gladly do so. I'm not saying you can't ask for reasonable precautions. What you can't do is tear people away from their loved ones and keep them from being able to see each other during these difficult times. That's fucking evil. So that that number one just needed to be put out there. And and having, you know, if nothing else, I've I, and I've you know, I've always thought this over the past year and a half um plus, but um, but now I've experienced it and, you know, it's just, but there's, there's no excuse for it. There's no rationalization for it at all. Um, second of all, the fact that when I, I, I respect healthcare workers. Okay. Like even the ones that have made mistakes that are treating my dad, like it's a hard job. And I'm not unsympathetic to that. I'm not unaware of the fact that, like, um, of all the, the the weeks and months and years that go into getting a medical degree, whether you're a nurse or you're do a doctor, like, you know, hats off to you and you have my respect. And even though I think the COVID pandemic was overblown, it was still something that a lot of people had to, you know, be on the front lines of and put their own lives at a bit more risk uh, than, than others. Like I'm, I'm not unsympathetic and I'm not trying to be like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a science denier or anything like that. Okay. But they're humans. They make mistakes. <laughs> they're not perfect. Especially when you have limited staff due to, which is going to be my, you know, third point, by the way, I'm going to get into, uh, the whole nursing and vaccination thing. But when you have reduced staff because of, well, just the economy in general, and then reduced staff because uh, you have nurses walking out 
or being threatened, you know, like, you know, it's kind of like they're walking out slash being told, like, if you don't quit, we're going to fire you uh, for not getting the vaccine. Um, you, you know, it, it, it exacerbates the problem. And you got these rotating shifts, people who are, you know, overworked. People are tired, especially people on night shifts and stuff. If they're going, yeah, I know a lot of nurses and stuff. Sometimes they'll do day shift for two weeks, night shift for a week. You know what I mean? So um, people make mistakes. And it's very hard to hold people like accountable and to catch those things when you're completely removed from the situation and you're just getting updates over the phone. Like, you know what I mean? Even now, I'm just... I'm concerned about how optimistic I should be about my dad because I'm getting told stuff, you know, secondhand by doctors and nurses over a phone. And there's a level of separation there. Whereas if I was there, I, I would, I would have a greater grasp and understanding of what was going on. Cause I'd be witnessing it. And, and you know what I mean? So it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I experienced this before COVID. Um, couple years ago i think this was 2018 uh my daughter was in the hospital and almost died and it was from a simple virus you know hey you know what's funny is that viruses have killed people or almost killed people before covid shocker i know nobody ever died from anything before covid I hate that. It's just like, oh, wear a mask if it saves one life. It's like, okay, well then, you know what I mean? Or get fat. It's just whatever. That's a bit of a tangent. But my daughter had, like, so we had a stomach virus. It was back in 2018. This was like February, I think. Yeah, it was, it was right around uh, Valentine's Day. And we all had like one of those, like, you know, nasty 24 hour bugs that just, like, you know, wipes you out for a day. You're just like, you know, making trips from your bed to the bathroom back to your bed over and over again. And, uh, Oh, sorry. My wife's, my wife is correcting me. It's 2019. <laughs> she's, she's right. My wife is, my wife is always right about these dates. Um, so yeah, it was 2019, whenever it was, it was, it was definitely February around Valentine's day. Um, yeah, well, it definitely was 2019. She's right. Um, so after we all got, we, so like, I forget the, I think the kids got it first and then me and my wife got it. So we were recovering. Like we were like, it was like awful. Like our kids were starting to get better while we were getting sicker. <laughs> kids were just like, oh, okay, what do we do? Mom and dad are out for the count. Um, but then we were all kind of like, you know, so like two days later, we're all kind of better ish, you know, still kind of like queasy, but like able to eat again, drink and, uh, you know, the kids are playing because they're starting to feel better. And, you know, at this time, I think my daughter was like one and a half. And, uh, you know, she was walking and running. But, you know, it's toddlers. They they fall a lot. And um, it's funny. <laughs> you know what I mean, they'll be running around playing and then they just boom, they crash and y you laugh a bit. And that's what happened was uh, my, my daughter was was running and kind of fell and she fell a little awkwardly. So, uh, you know, it was kind of like, all right, I went to go pick her up and, and brought her to my wife because it looked like she like fell and then started to cry. And we were like, oh, it's like, it's OK. So you pick her up, you comfort her and, you know, gave her to my wife. And then it was just like looking at her, started to notice like 
something wasn't right and then realized she wasn't crying she was having a seizure which i had never witnessed before in my life uh so then we quickly got on the phone called the ambulance they come down there seizure lasted a few minutes and then uh they took her to the hospital uh that night i i don't think she i think she only had the one seizure that night i can't remember if she had another one in the hospital or on the way there my wife would know better than i do i think she only had the one that night didn't happen again they said it could have just been a fluke thing she was getting over a virus it's not that uncommon uh when they're young so um anyway they sent us home because they were like she just seems to be okay uh didn't have a fever and then the next day like i think that was a sunday because then i had to go to work and i think that was like a monday so the next day i had to go to to work and um I'm at work and then I get a call from uh, my mother-in-law saying that she had a, another seizure. And so then we get to the hospital and that's, I, I know for a fact that like, I think she had another seizure on the way there. Um, okay. Yeah. So my wife's here now telling me she had one on Valentine's day and then the next day she had, she had four um, or, you know, at least four because then I'll get into this. Um, and they were all usually like two or three minutes long. And so they were doing um, all these different tests or like somewhere like a minute long. And um, they were doing all these different tests. And uh, the doctor's orders were like to not give her any kind of anti-seizure medication unless the seizures went past five minutes. Um, and it was to be a specific dose and it's been so long. I forget the exact dose that was prescribed, but it was small. It was like, it, it, yeah, it was, it was, it was, you know, cause she was a, you know, like one and a half years old. So it was some kind of like point one point or whatever, uh, dosage. Okay. Well, the, um, the, the point being, uh, then a shift change happened and, she had another seizure and when the seizure happened, instead of waiting the full five minutes, like she was supposed to, the nurse just went and grabbed the anti-seizure medication and gave it to her and gave her a dose that was more than what that she was supposed to get for her size. Um, so that caused a problem because it suppressed her breathing. And then the doctors and everyone had to call in and, and get her oxygen back up. And then they kept running her tests. But then when she had another seizure, probably about an hour later um she basically almost like died like they had to call call a code rush everyone out of the room um and what sucked about that the most was that i wasn't there like i had to run home to get some stuff because we realized okay we're gonna be here a while and then i got a call from my sister who had come to to to, to help us out and was like jacob you gotta get back here like they were doing all these tests and like they thought they were like seeing to see if she had some kind of seizure disorder so they had hooked up all these different probes and stuff to her um um to her to her head and um it was like an eeg or something like that yeah so or ekg uh on her on her brain and it was like while they were doing that test that i um went went down to get stuff and came back but like they and then she had another seizure and it was like i guess just one or two doctors in the room at that time or was it just one yeah, just one. Um, even back then, the pediatric, like, they didn't have enough people on staff. Um, and then, like, her oxygen level started to drop during that seizure. 
and she stopped breathing completely and then she had to hit like that code button and then you know everyone got rushed out and all these doctors and nurses like like 20 like in this tiny little room to to like resuscitate my daughter and bring her and like bring her back from like the brink of death and i had to drive the whole way from like 20 minutes away from the hospital back and like and it was like the worst timing too because the highway between our house and the hospital had an accident so traffic was completely stopped on the northbound side of the highway so i had to take all these back roads and i kid you not like speed limit these back roads with like 45 i was probably doing 70 to get back to the hospital um not knowing if my daughter was going to be alive or not when i got there um but from that experience to connect us back to what we were talking about like from that experience that was like my first eye-opening like wow doctors and nurses can make really fucking stupid mistakes that almost kill people um and and you know that's statistically true is that like a lot of people i think it's the one of the leading causes of deaths like in hospitals is like medical uh negligence or malpractice so um i was kind of aware of that going into this with my dad and yeah <laughs> and now through this what's going on with my dad i realized like i can't you got to stay on these people like hawks. It's not to, it's not out of malice. It's just like people make mistakes. Like, listen, I make mistakes at work. I work on cars for a living. Every once in a while, you tighten down a bolt too tight snaps or you forget something. You have to go back and do it. Um, when you make mistakes on cars, it's bad, but it's easier to fix make mistakes on humans. It's a lot harder to fix. And the stakes are obviously, um, uh, a lot higher. So, um, so yeah, part of what I've gotten out of this too is, you know, I, I wonder how much of the deaths over the past, cause we all hear about like the inflated death count over the last year of COVID, but I, I've just started to wonder, man, how much of that was from there being like, you know, just, not enough people and then the people that were there weren't being held accountable and they were making mistakes giving the wrong treatment not checking charts oh let me tell you it took like days to get the doctors that were treating my dad to have the right information we must have told f five or six different people all the different medications he was on um and whatnot like and everything's supposed to be in the computer like the doctor he goes to is part of the same network that the hospital is part of but they didn't have any of any of his information about his different health conditions and stuff and I, it's just a mess so uh so that's the second thing it's like the first part is it's evil to keep people out the second thing yeah uh, uh craig uh, says that uh dr air is the third leading cause of death in the u.s i would i would believe it absolutely i would i would believe that um and then so yeah, like keeping people out is not only evil because it hurts people and like they need to be surrounded by by people and love and support to get better, but it also like it it creates more opportunity for doctors and nurses to make mistakes. Um yeah, and then you know the other thing the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on a bit was I have a as much as I know nurses can make mistakes too. I got to tell you, it's the nurses that have been kind of doing. So it's weird that there was a nurse that messed up that almost killed my daughter. But part of that, I can also be blamed on the doctor because the doctors were just nowhere to be found. 
um, the nurses have actually been the ones that seem to have been providing the best care and being the best advocates for my father through this experience. Um, and sort of like questioning the doctors. And I wonder if, I wonder if that's something that's happened over the past year is that nurses have been put into a position, especially recently with the vaccine stuff where they're starting to realize they're, they have a, a sort of role that they have to play where, um, they're not willing to just be like sheep. They get told what to do, but they sort of, I don't know, like have to be advocates for themselves and for their rights and maybe even for their patients and their patients' rights more than maybe they, they used to. Um, like they, maybe they're, they feel, uh, cause I think a lot of nurses that, you know, people who are nurses have a, you know, a, a sense of duty and, and wanting to, to help and without family members there, uh, like, like there used to be to sort of uh, advocate for like, you know, the patient nurses might maybe be feeling more, more of that pressure now. I don't, I don't know, but um, I'm really grateful for the nurses that have uh, that helped me to kind of p- put the pieces together. Cause most of the updates we're getting are from nurses, not the doctors. Um, and so it's the nurses that helped us to kind of like get things back on the right track. Um, so uh yeah i mean the whole this whole experience too has you know just further i mean i know there was probably like you guys probably saw there was some assholes on facebook and twitter that were you know taking cheap shots at me and my family during all this like you know oh fucking anti-vaxxers they get what they deserve and stuff like that you know which is just what can you say about people who say things like that i mean they're just that's just you know says a lot more about you than it does me if if that's the way you're going to uh uh if that's what you're going to say to somebody who's you know ha- has a family member at a hospital but uh let me tell you like so my dad technically was told by his doctor that he uh was recommended against getting the vaccine by his doctor said you know with your different health issues um including a rare form of leukemia he was like I don't really think that it's a good idea, at least not right now. You should wait and see, uh, you know, more, more for more data to come out and stuff. And yeah, I got to tell you, like maybe some people would have expected that after having a loved one go into the hospital and having COVID that I would be biased to be like, oh man, everybody's got to do what they can to, to, you know, get the vaccine and slow the spread and reduce the risk and, you know, try to prevent these kind of things from happening. Um, and while certainly I'm not somebody who, you know, like I know there's some people out there who have some wacky ideas about, you know, they, they go really far into conspiracy theories about the vaccine or even about virology. There's some people out there that don't believe that viruses are real, which I don't know. I've, I've looked into those, those people and their claims and I don't know, it, it kind of, uh, just comes across to me as sort of being uh, a step away from astrology and crystals, which <laughs> is definitely not my thing. But um, it's not really about the science for me. It's about percentage, percentages and risk and an understanding of what rights are and what obligations are. And this has not changed any of my positions on those things at all. Um, I don't know. And I, I kind of said this tongue in cheek earlier, but 
I don't know what about COVID made people stupid, but um, you know, people have been getting sick and dying or having near death experiences from like, I don't know if you're a Christian, I guess, since creation. And if not, then since, you know, like <laughs> since life began, you know what I mean? However, however your, whatever your belief system is, whenever life began, life started having to deal with the risk of dying and from all sorts of different things. But, you know, viruses or infections, you know, have, have been part of that for a long time. Just like I brought up the story of my daughter who stomach, you know, and the, the doctors have no explanation for what happened to my daughter, by the way. Um, no, like she doesn't have a seizure disorder. She's had no seizures since. Basically, she had a stomach virus that mutated in a weird way. And because of how young she was caused a major issue, which then got confounded by medical mistakes on their part. Um, but the weird thing was like, so, cause usually when kids get sick um, and they have seizures, they have a fever, but my daughter never had a fever. So that's what kind of threw them through a, lo a loop. Like she would have the seizure and her temperature would remain constant. Um, but yeah, people have been getting sick and dying forever. And while certainly it's like, listen, if, you like i believe in personal responsibility first and foremost eat right exercise take care of yourself i don't always do a good job of that myself but i believe in it and i i, I try to make moderately good decisions you know even when i'm even when i'm not doing as good of a job as i should be i try to be conscious about what i eat to not consume lots of sugar to eat, make sure i'm eating at least all the basic food groups and whatnot and um and at least being aware of where I need to improve. Um, you know, your health starts with you and what you eat and, and how you take care of your body. Uh, after that, you know, washing your hands. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really against social distancing. I think there's some, um, there's more utility to social distancing to me than, than mask wearing. Uh, I've always been somebody who doesn't like to be up in close <laughs> proximity with a lot of people. Uh, especially like out in public. I've always been somebody who's a, you know, I got this from my dad. My dad's a bit of a germaphobe, actually. He, before even COVID, he would, during flu season, sometimes wear masks. And he's always been someone to like, doesn't use public bathrooms, uses hand sanitizer, you know, obnoxiously. Um, you know, he, he taught me the tricks. Like you go to the bathroom and he's like, first you, 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 um, you, you pull the lever on the paper towel thing a few times to get the paper towels out ahead of time. Wash your hands, grab the paper towels, dry your hands, turn the faucet off, and use the paper towel to open the door. Hold the door open with your foot and uh, throw the paper towel in the trash can. Like, that's how, <laughs> that's the sort of, like, germophobic OCD uh, environment I was I was raised in. Um, and, yeah, it's like, nobody enjoys getting sick. I, I certainly don't go around hoping I'll get sick. But, uh, you know, there's there's two things. One, and this is the most important thing, is uh, there's more to living life than surviving and just extending the number of days that I exist on this earth and get to go like, you know, well, I didn't die today. Like, there, there's a lot more to life than that. And I would rather live to 50 and have lived a happy, fulfilled life then live to a hundred and you know been like oh well, i was safe 
didn't do anything, but at least I was safe. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of self-explanatory. Um, as for, well, what's the exact uh, ratio of risk that is like risk to reward that is proper? Well, I'm an Austrian. Austrian libertarian and into Austrian economics. So you know what? That's subjective. And uh, that's my problem here with this whole COVID regime is that like, it's it's sort of like one, some people are just operating in, in complete insane territory. That's just like, you know, we have to engage in all risk reduction, you know, to go as far as possible to make risk zero before we can go back to normal, which is just stupid. Um, but then even then there's people that would just be like, well, you're obligated to do X, Y, and Z to reduce risk. But then the question is always, well, compared to what, like what's going with wearing a mask? Like, why is it just wearing a mask? Why am I obligated to wear a mask, but not wear a respirator? You know what I mean? Like, why am I obligated to wear a mask, but not, a, you know, wear a, wear, wear a mask that filters all the air that's coming in and out. You know what I mean? Uh, you're obligated to get a vaccine. It's like, okay, well, why am I not obligated to uh, be part of the test study groups to help to develop the vaccine? Why am I not obligated to, you know what I mean? It's like, where where do you draw the line? And then who gives you the right to draw that line? And so that's my whole problem with the COVID regime. And it especially, let me tell you, it especially irritates me when people going around calling themselves libertarians. Like, I, I, you know, I, I kind of expect it from the uh, the Democrats. I would even somewhat expect it from some Republicans, although Republicans have at least somewhat been a little bit more, you know, like having displaying some level of common sense during all of this. Um, but libertarians out there trying to act like they can know what is the right uh, level of of risk and reward for each person it's like how can you reject central planning while interposing yourself as a central planner <laughs> like how can you know what's right for 3 million you know 3 330 million people in the United States alone or even for a thousand people that live in your town Although at least that would be a, a bit more reasonable. But even then, heck, how can you even do it? Like, it's hard enough. Let me tell you, as a father of three, it's hard enough trying to balance all the different preferences that exist within one household. Let alone trying to, God, like, manage the preferences of another household. Or let alone, like, an entire business. You know what I mean? And then to do it for 330 million people <sighs> because what you're what you, what you end up doing is either going into these areas of absolutism that are just insane like like as if to say that you must do everything you can to make risk 0% and that op positive obligation is on you or you draw an arbitrary line that's based on nothing like, oh, well, you're obligated to do up to this point, but nothing past it. Why? Why? Why am I obligated to do this, but but not but not anything past that? 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that's silly, especially for people who call themselves libertarians to be engaged in. Um, my dad, even if he could have gotten the vaccine, I don't think he wanted it. I think, and, and even, you know, or at least wanted to wait and see if it would be proven to be effective or safe, which by the way, as far as I can tell, the vaccine is a lot more of a, uh, what do they call it? It's more fool's gold than anything. It's hard. It's hard for me to look at how effective it is and go, is it effective or is it like placebo effect? I don't really know. I'm not a doctor. I don't have a medical degree, so I can't comment too. Uh, you know, I can't. I can't talk about the vaccine from a place of too much of, of authority or or expertise. But you know, there's people try to say there that these studies don't exist, but they do. There's and there's more every day, every week. My wife sends them to me. Studies saying that natural immunity is more effective than the immunity the vaccine gives you and lasts longer. That's why people who have had cases of COVID donate plasma, which my stepmom has looked into doing. Uh, even if the vaccine is somewhat effective, it's like, okay, but what are the trade-offs? And although, you know, when the vaccine first came out, I was expecting a lot of side effects. And now some people would say that there have been. Um, anecdotally, in my experience, in my, you know, the relationships, families and friends, people I know that have gotten it, I've yet to really encounter anyone who's had any long-term side effects from getting the COVID vaccine, um, which makes me less afraid of it in theory. But it's still hard to know what are the long-term effects, especially with women and their fertility, especially like, you know, let's say my, let's say if my wife was pregnant, should she get it? I don't think so. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that if a woman is pregnant, it's a good idea for her to get this vaccine. They have the, the, uh, what is it? The, the, whatever the three letter acronym, God, I can't keep track of all the three letter government organizations, but whichever one is associated with health, maybe the NHS or something. Uh, it is, has, you know, authorized grants to do studies on the effect of, uh, the vaccine on menstrual cycles and fertility and in pregnancy. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of those studies. Um, but you know, I also think it's just different. Like for me at 29, for somebody who's already had COVID, I, I just trust my body more and my immune system enough that I don't feel a need to get the vaccine. But uh, I don't know if you're over 50 and you haven't had COVID yet. I don't know if, if you make that subjective value judgment that you think it's worth getting the vaccine. I don't care. Go ahead and get it. I'm not totally adverse to getting it at some point if if I can become convinced that it's the right decision. But that's what it's all about. It's about convincing people that they should do something. And if you can't convince them, you leave them alone. You don't coerce them and you don't call them selfish. You don't, you don't call them, you know, idiots. You don't say that they're being unreasonable. It's like make better arguments. You know what I mean? Be more persuasive. Go back to the drawing board. 
you know, libertarians say good ideas don't require force and then, you know, go around shilling for the COVID regime that's, that's, that's threatening massive, you know, ma on a scale that's inconceivable uh, attempts to coerce people into getting the vaccine. That's already happened. You know what I mean? We, we already have that. And uh, yeah, I can't help but notice the irony, and I'm not the first to point this out, that, you know, it's a pandemic, uh, but uh, we're laying off nurses because they're not getting the vaccine. It's like, oh, wait, if this is a really bad pandemic, then you can't spare nurses, even if they're not getting the vaccine. I mean, come on now. If the, the pandemic is that bad, can you really afford to lay off all these nurses? Is that really the, the example that you want to set? This isn't about the pandemic. It's not about risk. It's not about protecting people. It's about control. It's about how much can we get away with? How, how many more liberties can we take away from these people? How, how many times can we get them to kiss the ring? How far will they bend over? How far can we bend them over? That's what this is about. And people who call themselves libertarians and who don't see that and would rather shill for the COVID regime and getting the vac and, and like, listen, I don't care if you get the vaccine. I'm not saying that you're a bad libertarian if you get the vaccine. But if you act like it is the right libertarian move to get the vaccine and libertarians who don't get it are... Uh, making the libertarian philosophy look unreasonable. You, know, you, you need to check your priorities. That's all I can say. All right. Well, I'm at the hour mark. I didn't plan to go this long, but uh, <laughs> damn it, I'm long-winded. So it was nice chatting with all of you. I appreciate everyone in the comments and stuff. Um, I make sure I didn't miss anything good. Yeah, I agree 100%, Craig. Food is your medicine. The body can heal itself if given a chance. Move and be active. Yeah, that is more effective than any vaccine. Be healthy, eat right, preventative care. Prevention is better than cure every day of the week. Um, and yeah, uh, I definitely agree with you, Rob. Uh, being with a family member as they could live their last moment is worth the risk. Yeah. Being, being with somebody in their last moment, being able to have that closure, uh, there's no amount of risk that's, uh, that, that supersedes that. Yep. Uh, yeah, I saw some people saying that they could, yeah. But, but believe me, it's it's been frustrating for, for sure. But uh, yeah, I appreciate everyone who's been praying and checking in. Uh, again, it means absolutely a lot. Uh, you know, I've never been one to ask for money a whole lot, but, uh, you know, if you guys, you know, I, I'll probably put it in the comments here. Uh, I mean, in the, in the, uh, show notes and stuff and probably make another post about it in the next day or two, you know, uh, the GoFundMe for my dad and his family. Cause you know, my stepmom's not working through all this and, you know, I don't know how much of these bills will be wiped away because it's COVID and how much won't. He's probably going to have to have some long-term inpatient and outpatient care after this. So, and, you know, we're already feeling the effects of both my stepmom and my dad not working. So 
you know, if anyone, you know, whether you want to contribute, uh, if you can, um, or if you could just share it to help, you know, uh, spread the, the, the link out to, a uh, you know, cast the net a little bit wider, uh, very appreciative of it. Very appreciative of everyone who's already donated because it's just been overwhelming. I didn't expect it to, uh, you know, I, to as many people to donate and as much as they already have. Uh, so it's already been a, an amazing blessing and uh, uh, just, you know, it's, it's voluntarism at work. You know what I mean? It's, it's why uh, it, it's why our ideas do work. I know some, I know some people have uh, become black pilled or uh, think libertarian values don't work, but uh, they do. The, the, the problem is uh, sometimes we don't, have the right time preference and we expect everything to happen right away, but we have to be patient. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I hope everyone who went out to Tom Woods, uh, yesterday to that thing had fun. I was sorry that I couldn't go. Uh, I was at a wedding, um, which I almost didn't go to when my dad was getting worse, but I decided to go, um, anyway, uh, for, um, was actually I was the officiant. Uh, I was I didn't I didn't announce this beforehand, but now that it's happened, I'm sure I can. I officiated uh, Michael Heiss's wedding. Uh, Michael Heiss, the uh, chair of the Mises Caucus, uh, got married this past weekend and invited me uh, and asked me to officiate the whole thing. So I got to do that. Um, that was a that was an honor to be a part of, and it was a great time uh, with a lot of a lot of great people and friends. Uh, you know. I, I did it also as a, you know, part of my faith because uh, as much as it sucks what's going on with my dad and I, I want to be there for him and, and whatnot, uh, you know, he, 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 I feel compelled to worship God and declare that he's good and to continue to to, to live my life and, and, you know, every day and every week look for those moments of happiness and uh fulfillment and purpose wherever I can. And uh, I knew I would regret not being there for my friend if I hadn't have been there, even during these difficult circumstances besetting my family. So, all right, that's it, everybody. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night. And uh, um, hopefully, I don't know, sometime in the next week or two, I'll get back into a regular rotation. Obviously, I haven't been doing as much content lately, but I'll get back into the swing of things here soon. But until then, I'll talk to y'all later. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.